So today we enter a new series and it's one that internally as the leadership team and community leaders we're actually really excited about in this particular season of church life. I'd be lying if I said uh, that it hadn't in some way been motivated by the last year that we've just had and by the start of the year that we're so far having. See, last year for me and for so many people, we had absolutely no idea where the world was going. This pandemic came somehow out of nowhere. All of a sudden we were locked down. We weren't working. Uh, even Tesco was difficult to go to. And so much you know, of that was novel, right? It, 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 we had no idea where it was going so much so that it almost felt like the lockdowns were an adventure, right? For a little while anyway. But this year we're more accustomed to things. And we're also more fatigued. It feels harder, doesn't it? And so this series is an attempt, more like an opportunity, to put whatever you have in this time into your own personal formation. You see, we talk very often about community, and community is absolutely critical. The Bible knows nothing about solitary Christianity. It is all about the community of faith that you call home and how that, fit, that community nurtures, builds you up, equips you, challenges you. And in this season of life, we talk about it often. We are essentially digital disciples, though, as you know, as we talk about walks this coming week, that is an attempt to do some stuff face-to-face -face where we can. But most of our contact is over Zoom or FaceTime or voice notes. It's remote, right? And so community at best feels like just ticking over a lot of the time. It is not as we would hope. It is not as it's intended. It's not what we are made for. But we're trying, right? But the one thing that we can do in this time is to focus on our personal formation. I believe 2021 is a year where we should focus on how we are being formed. And for that reason, this series is called Devoted. And so each week over the next six weeks, we're going to dig into a formational practice, the Bible, silence and solitude, prayer and fasting, Sabbath and rest, generosity, worship and community, key practices that we believe form us as followers of Jesus. They are things that we form habits around that form us. And the idea is that each week we're going to teach on it and then we're going to give you a practice to do the week that follows. We'll send you some stuff into your community groups, put some stuff out online so that you know what the practice is, so that you will receive teaching to know what it is we're talking about and then a practice to dig in to really give it a go to see how it begins to form you. It's combining not just head knowledge but experience. And then after that, we're going to dig into a series on Easter. And then we're going to start into a series just after that, walking through the book of the Acts. We want to try to immerse ourselves in not just practice, but the story that forms us too. And here's the thing. I don't think we've ever been as aware as we are right now that we are being formed by the world around us. I don't think we've ever been as aware. In years that gone by, when you talked about formation and disciplines and things like that, people kind of shrugged them off a little bit because life was wide open, right? You could do whatever you wanted. But actually right now, lots of people are waking up to the fact that we are being formed. If you're like me, you're thinking about wrestling with things like, how will we all be affected by so much time on our own? How will I be changed by no physical contact with other people? I'm saying this as a non-hugger, by the way. What's the price of all that time on screens? And what about our kids? 
How are they being formed by all of this? And I have this question in my heart of hearts, right? And it's this. When I think about this time and when my kids ask me in the years that are ahead, as this year becomes a study in history books or sociology or the news or just stories that they hear, how am I going to answer the question, what did I do through lockdown? What sort of person did I become? What's being formed in me? Is it just more worry and more stress and more doubt and more hopelessness, more distance between me and others, less generous and so on and so on and so on? Or could it be something else? Could it even be something good? So where do we start, okay? We're going to start the series. We're going to move through it over the next six weeks. What is the starting point? Well, I want to set the scene for this whole series by reading today from John 15, verses 1 to 8. If you've got a Bible on you, why don't you grab it now? John 15, verses 1 to 8, and this is God's word. I am the true vine, and my father is the gardener. He cuts off every branch in me that bears no fruit. While every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes so that it will be even more fruitful. You're already clean because of the word I've spoken to you. Remain in me as I also remain in you. No branch can bear fruit by itself. It must remain in the vine. Neither can you bear fruit unless you remain in me. I am the vine. You are the branches. If you remain in me and I in you, you will bear much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. If you do not remain in me, you're like a branch that is thrown away and withers. Such branches are picked up, thrown into the fire and burned. If you remain in me and my words remain in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. This is my Father's glory that you bear much fruit, showing yourselves to be my disciples. And we thank God for his word that still speaks to us today. On a purely personal level, coming really clean with you this morning, plants and I, and even more so Joy, though I don't want to drop her in it today, we don't go so well together. I realize that'll come as a shock to many of you that think uh, as a millennial uh, that I will be well on top of my plant growing regime, right? But it seems that no matter how hard we try, we just keep killing them, right? I mean, the plants that come with things on them that say, like, basically, this plant is unkillable, right? All you need to do is water it and do this and that and the other, you know, instructions that seem to make it really easy. All I can say is that within a matter of weeks, it seems to end up as a withered mess. We have this peace lily in our house. Elle called it planty. We've had it since we were in our old house. And I swear he's been on death's door for about a year now. We just can't seem to make him look well, he just never looks like a healthy, growing plant. I feel like I'm sort of taking part in some sort of confession tapes for plant killers right now, right? Some sort of Portland-based hipster plant murderer organization is going to be after me. And I say this today because the picture uh, that we want to carry into this series is the one that Jesus has just painted. And it's a picture of a vine. And we're back into growing healthy things. You see, the vine was a well-known image in the Bible. The vine is an image for Israel, right? Again and again and again, perhaps most famously in Isaiah 5 or maybe uh, Psalm 80, you've read it before, right? But there, there it is, right? It's in Isaiah, Jeremiah, Ezekiel, Hosea, and the Psalms. And here's the thing. 
Though the image appears numerous times in the Old Testament, it is used always with the idea of degeneration. So for example, Isaiah 5 says this, I will sing for the one I love a song about his vineyard. My loved one had a vineyard on a fertile hillside. He dug it up and cleared it of stones and planted it with the choicest vines. He built a watchtower in it and cut out a wine press as well. Then he looked for a crop of good grapes, but it yielded only bad fruit. And on it goes and on it goes. In other words, yes, it's a picture of the vine and the vineyard, but the vineyard has run wild and the fruit is bad. But not so with Jesus. See, this particular section of John 15 is part of Jesus' parting words to the disciples. And in this case, it's possible that this teaching uh, was taking place en route from the Last Supper venue to the garden where he was betrayed. We know Jesus did lots of his teaching as he was in transit with the disciples. And if that's the case, the teaching took place probably inside of the temple where there was a golden vine across the portico at the entrance, a decoration of the temple that everyone knew about it. There it is in gold, twinkling in the light, the vine. And Jesus is saying, I'm the vine, but I'm not like any vine that's gone before me. I'm not like Israel. I'm the true vine. The difference is me. And because of this, no relationship with God is possible without connection to me. That's what he's saying. And any journey into our formation starts here. You see, it's not possible to be formed into someone anything like Jesus without connection to Jesus. And as the picture of the vine points so much to the fruit of that vine, the fruit of your life is dependent on the root of your life. If you want to live fruitfully as a follower of Jesus, then the reality and the quality of your relationship with Jesus is everything. And from Jesus' words on the vine, as we kick off a series that's going to look at practices, habits that we're going to form in our lives, I just want to explore two things today as we set out on this series together. The first is this, what you can expect. The second is how you abide. First is what you can expect. There are these verses one to four again. I'm the true vine and my father is the gardener. He cuts off every branch in me that bears no fruit. While every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes so that it will be even more fruitful. You're already clean because of the word I've spoken to you. Remain in me as I also remain in you. No branch can bear fruit by itself. It must remain in the vine. Neither can you bear fruit unless you remain in me. The bottom line is that vines take work. One of my memories growing up uh, was traveling to Derry to my nanny and granda's house. Uh, and granda loved gardening. The difference was he was actually really very good at it, right? Whether that was growing roses at the front of his house or my memory as we grew up was growing grapes at the back of his house. He had this little greenhouse where he had a vine that he had a couple of goes at growing in there, right? And they just took so much work to grow them properly. Eventually, Granda packed it in when they grew so big and so strongly that they smashed the glass in the greenhouse. And the thing is, if you want to grow decent grapes, it takes work. For starters, 
Obviously, I did not know any of this before I started to read into this, as I'm not a great gardener, as you know, right? But for starters, it's recommended that a young vine shouldn't grow any fruit for the first three years. Could you imagine today starting to grow a vine, knowing that you won't get any fruit out of the vine for three years? And left to themselves, well, they just grow out of control with a huge amount of growth that's just not necessary, not good for the plant. So they need a huge amount of cutting back and attention. Why? The key with vines is that they need focus if they're ever going to grow good grapes. Not just okay grapes, good grapes. They need a focus on fewer branches and fewer bunches if you're ever going to be really good. And in Jesus' picture, he is the vine. He's the true vine. We're The branches growing, always growing, all over the place, growing. So what can we expect? Pruning. I'm the true vine, and my father is the gardener. He cuts off every branch in me that bears no fruit, while every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes so that it will be even more fruitful. We can expect pruning. And the word that Jesus uses here, right, it's actually, it's, a, it's an interesting word. It's an unusual word. It's not really an agricultural kind of term, right? It's more like cleaning or purity. In fact, it's directly linked to the word clean that Jesus uses in the very next verse when he's speaking of the disciples. In other words, Jesus is making the link between the pruning and the purity of his followers. Here's the thing. If you follow Jesus, No matter how closely or loosely, everyone gets cut. Jesus says, right, for the branch that bears no fruit, he cuts off that branch. But the branch that bears good fruit, he prunes that back too. Everyone gets pruned. And our character is what's visible in the cuts. One of the Bible commentators really digs into what pruning looked like in that culture and time, right? Because it's not just a simple picture that maybe I had in my head when I thought about vines, right? You know, you just snip a little bit off here and a little bit off there. No, it was way more elaborate than that in a culture that really did think highly of grapes, right? It was a big part of the world in that time, right? And the first stage happened in the spring, right? It was a two-stage process. The first happened in the spring. And there were a number of things that they did at that stage. They pruned the vine in order to lift it off the ground. They would get heavy, so they would eventually fall to the floor. So they pruned them, lifting them off the floor, helping it grow in the right direction. And they pruned off long shoots, right? Ones that would grow uh, out and away from the vine that would very often get broken in high winds. They pruned back fast growing shoots to slow it down. They removed parasites and things like that, removed flowers and even some of the bunches of grapes so that fewer, better ones would grow. That's the first stage. And it's all about direction, right? It's all about making sure that the vine grows in the right direction and was especially fruitful when it came time for the harvest. But then there was this second stage too, and it happened in the autumn after the grapes had been harvested and the vines were dormant. And they did something different at this time, right? They removed unwanted branches. This was about removing branches that had produced fruit in the previous season that would not produce fruit in the next. 
In other words, it was about preparation for the future. You see, branches, if left growing on it, even if they grew fruit that won't grow fruit in the next, they just steal resource from the vines that need it. Knowing what maybe did produce fruit in one section that won't produce fruit in the next. And this is exactly what happens and needs to happen to us. This is the picture of our lives, full of life and running in a hundred directions. We need to be pruned. The trouble is we really, really don't like it, do we? And the thing is, if you're a follower of Jesus, like the disciples who were walking with Jesus all those years ago, the reality is you've already been pruned. If you've decided to follow him, if you've given your life to him, you've already had ambitions, wants, lusts, longings, goals, cut away from your life. And your life is already bearing fruit. You may not even be aware of the fruit that your life bears, but it is already bearing fruit. The thing is, though, that the arc of the Christian life is for more. And more fruit means more pruning. You want more fruit? then you've got to get used to having more pruning. So what does it feel like? For me, pruning often feels like a couple of things. It feels like disturbance, that my plans, my character, things held tightly that should probably be held lightly, all of a sudden feel like they're being picked on through circumstances or things that are happening in my life, doors that close, stuff that's going on. I feel like it's disturbing what I want and what I think of myself. Often it feels like frustration as well. Frustration that I was so sure I knew where I was headed and now that door has closed and the path has narrowed. See, pruning comes in our life like that first stage, like direction, guided, led. Some doors close, some doors open. Stuff gets cut away that won't make it through the test of difficult seasons and painful seasons in our life. The things we think we want that are maybe just fast growing shoots, right? The stuff that we felt like it was a good idea, but actually over time it gets cut away and stuff that's not God's best for our lives. Sins, habits, sometimes even things that are good, but are not the best. Things that steal our attention from the real purpose and the real ambition of our lives. Often for me, that one is the most painful. And pruning in our lives also happens like the second stage, stuff that orients around the future. And this is where stuff that worked in one season starts getting cut away because it's not for us for the next. And if we don't, and we just keep going after that and keep trying to do that in the next season, keeping believing that because it bore fruit in one season that it will in the next, actually it just steals resource away from the thing that we should be giving ourselves to. And this hurts too and often leaves you feeling a bit disoriented as to why it might have worked at one stage and it doesn't work at another. Pruning sounds like a good idea, but it's hard, isn't it? And so we do what is only natural. We push back, we rage. We just try to keep doing things our way. But here's the thing. These are the words of N.T. Wright. The vine dresser is never closer to the vine, taking more thought over its long-term health and productivity than when he has the knife in his hand. You are never closer to God than the times you are feeling pruned. He's right there. In my own life, I've known that, right? Coming to terms with painful 
difficult things from life direction and purpose to frustrated opportunities and relationships breaking down and even loss. I've known the presence of Jesus perhaps most profoundly in my life in those days, even when it hurts. You know, here's the thing. A vine without pruning is a grand, fast-growing, impressive thing. And in the world in which we live, in the culture of our time, that's exactly the kind of people and attributes that we seem to treasure most. People with it all together, with grandeur in their lives, with incredible gifts and talents who are fast growing, who come up fast, right? Come out of nowhere and they're making a success of themselves in no time. These are exactly the sorts of people we treasure and we prize the most. We look towards as success stories, don't we? But a vine like that is out of control and it's wasted potential. It could bear so much more fruit if only it was pruned. It could bear so much more fruit if only it was pruned. And that's it, isn't it? See, Jesus isn't looking for impressive or grand or fast-growing. He's promising us fruit. The question is, are you feeling pruned right now? I know there will be some of you sat this morning, and now that we've been talking about it, you're very much feeling pruned. I want to say to you today, you're in the right place. What can we expect? Pruning. But secondly, how will you abide? Here's what it says in verses 5 to 8. I am the vine, you are the branches. If you remain in me and I in you, you will bear much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. If you do not remain in me, you're like a branch that is thrown away and withers. Such branches are picked up, thrown into the fire and burned. If you remain in me and my words remain in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. This is to my Father's glory that you bear much fruit, showing yourselves to be my disciples. See, the journey of following Jesus and being formed by him in the end is all about fruit. But most of us probably already think that anyway when we look at our lives, don't we? Because we live in a world that is always only upwards. Like every year should be better than the last, right? Projections should always be up. More profit, more expansion, better all the time. And the thing is, for most of us who have been in leadership roles in our lives, there's this kind of equation that we buy into either explicitly or implicitly, but it's kind of there, right? And the equation says something like this, effort plus skills equals success. Like when we look around the world at people we admire, we kind of add those bits in. Effort plus skills equals success. Looking at successful people, and we think it's either their gifts, right? They're astonishingly gifted at whatever it is they're going to do, right? That's the driving factor that got them towards success. Or we look at people who maybe aren't quite as gifted, but they just have an incredible engine. They worked and they worked and they worked, and that's how they got to where they are with success. And so we look at that and we compare with our own lives and maybe we say, well, maybe we're not quite as gifted as them, but we're going to graft harder than them. And if we just do it for long enough, we'll get there. We'll be a success one day. Now, don't get me wrong, right? Hard work is a good thing. Incredible God-given gifts and talents are a good thing. But the equation doesn't work, does it? 
It doesn't work like that. That just gifts plus hard work equals success. That's not how the world works. I mean, where do we put a season of life like right now in the world of that equation? Does it really feel like success is coming at any of us right now? So how do we respond? Well, we despair at how on earth our lives aren't where we thought they'd be. But Jesus has another equation. And it's the equation of this passage. It's the equation of the vine. And this is what it is. Pruning plus abiding equals fruitfulness. Pruning plus abiding equals fruitfulness. You see, Jesus wants us to have fruitful lives. And here's the key. It's not on me. I am the vine, you are the branches. If you remain in me and I in you, you will bear much fruit apart from me. You can do nothing. It's not on me. The fruitfulness of my life and of your life, it's not on us. That's Jesus' deal. But what's my deal? Abiding in him. And as if to make it as clear as it possibly can be, the word abide uh, or remain is, is how it's read in some of the translations, right? It's used three times in verse four, 11 times in chapter five, and 27 times in total in the book of John. Abide, 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 abide. See, fruit is on the outside. The fruitfulness of your life will be on the outside. It will be seen. It will be known. But abiding is on the inside. And we have got to learn that the key to fruitful lives is not to go after the fruit, but instead to go after Jesus. Jesus says pruning plus abiding equals fruitfulness. Stop doing things for Jesus and start looking at Jesus. That is the heart of abiding. And after saying that fruitfulness is on him and not us, Jesus then provides the stark warning for the fruitless. He says this in verse six, if you do not remain in me, you're like a branch that is thrown away and withers. Such branches are picked up, thrown into the fire and burned. See, the thing is, this, this is not an image of hell in many ways in this, in this particular picture, right? The thing about the wood from a vine is that it's useless. It had no purpose in the culture of that time. It was far too soft to be able to make things with. It had no other known purpose. So the only thing that would happen is that all of it as it is pruned is gathered up. And at the end of the season, eventually, when it comes to an end, it was burned because it was the only thing it was good for. It is a wonder, a marvel, capable of incredible growth and the most beautiful fruit when it's part of the vine. But when it's not, it's useless. It's kind of like that thing, you know, where we commonly think about some of our physical features, right? Like we think of people who have beautiful hair, right? I know lots of girls. My wife is one of them who thinks Claudia Winkleman has the most incredible hair, right? So you see people with incredible hair and you go, wow, they've got beautiful hair. Some people fall in love with people because they got beautiful hair. Or you see people and you think they, most, they have the most incredible smile and the most incredible teeth. Or even on a lower level, people arrive and they've got their nails done and they're like, oh, your nails are amazing, right? But here's the thing. We only think that when they're attached to the body, don't we? How is it, right, that that which we think is most beautiful when it's attached to the body becomes most repulsive whenever it's no longer attached? Like you find a hair in your dinner. There is a tooth somewhere sat in someone's house. There is a fingernail, right? They are grim. It's repulsive, right? It turns us immediately when it's not attached 
to the body. And Jesus is saying exactly the same thing about us. We are a wonder, a marvel, capable of incredible growth and the most incredible fruit. But we are useless when we're cut off from the vine. We can still have life, but it won't have fruit. See, Jesus is pointing right at disciples here, right at the ones who follow him and bear his name, pointing at their words without actions, that profession without practice. And that's some of us a lot of the time and a lot of us some of the time, isn't it? If we're really honest, profession without practice, words without deeds, it's some of us a lot of the time. And it's a lot of us some of the time. And so Jesus says again, this is to my Father's glory, that you bear much fruit, showing yourselves to be my disciples. See, it's fruitfulness in our lives that shows us to be his disciples. So abide in me. There are two primary ways that you can do that. The first is that we remain or we abide in the community that bears his name. That's the church. So we do all that we can to live in a community, to show up and not just kind of clear off into the distance, right? To make it a priority to share and open ourselves up, be generous of heart and spirit and wallet, to be present here. And some of us need to ask ourselves, am I really present here? Number one is we remain in community. Number two, we remain in our own personal relationship with Jesus. And that's really about remaining in all of the practices and ways that our relationship with Jesus is formed, developed, and sustained. Worship, prayer, silence, solitude, fasting, Sabbath, God's word. And some of us need to ask ourselves, do I really invest in those with my life? William Law wrote this. If you will have stop and ask yourself why you are not as pious as the early Christians were, your own heart will tell you that it is neither through ignorance nor inability, but purely because you never thoroughly intended it. Here's the truth. Habits are everything. And if you're serious about following Jesus, they need to become a priority in your life. In a nutshell, abiding is prioritizing habits and activities in our life that are fundamentally good for our relationship with Jesus. You know, as you grow up and become more self-aware of yourself, you become aware of the things that do you good, right? You become aware that you're introverted or you're extroverted, become aware that you get energy from being around people or you get exhausted or whatever it is, right? You get to know yourself and you get to know the things that feed you and help you to be who you are, right? Whether that's time with people, running, cycling, the gym, reading, doing art, woodwork, sea swimming, like whatever it is, there are things in your life and they help you be who you are and you know you can feel it when you've done them can't you like very often if I have a long week right I haven't managed to cycle at all or like this week where it's been like a typhoon the entire week right I'll get to Friday and I'll be irritable and I'll be short and all of that sort of stuff and eventually Joy will say you need to go on your bike tomorrow even if it like costs us even if it makes family time more difficult or whatever she will know when I am less like myself because when I am I'm a different person. And so the reality is that the second that you stop doing those things, you go backwards, don't you? You regress. You're less like yourself. And it's exactly the same 
with the forming habits of our relationship with Jesus. You feel it when you do them. You are a different person. You are more like yourself. You know, the secret of the life of Jesus was his contact with God the Father. How do I know? Because again and again and again and again, Jesus did all that he could to withdraw from the crowd and everyone else to be alone with the Father. It was the priority of his life. And we must do whatever we need to do, whatever we know is good for us to be with him. And that means rearranging our schedules, our prayer time, our silence, our finances, our worship, our whole lives. And I know that makes us uncomfortable, but it's the truth. Because the truth is I don't need more opportunities in my life to forget about Jesus and put his way for my life to one side in place of the way that I have planned. My life does that all by itself. It happens all too easily. These are ways that I shift the priorities of my schedule so that I can shift the priorities of my life. You and I have got to remember, it's so important we remember when we read this passage today, that I am not a vine, I am a branch. I'm not a vine, I'm a branch. You know, especially when I want my life and my schedule, my resources and my ambitions, my lot to go my way, I can't possibly be a vine. I can't possibly bear the fruit Jesus promises. Jesus says that. It only comes if I remain in him because I'm not a vine. I'm a branch. And the fruit of my life is determined by being rooted in vine. So I do everything I can to stay rooted in the vine, rooted by Jesus and his way. You know, for me, just personally, I always found that the big one was worship. Sure, I have rhythms of reading the Bible and prayer and lots of those things, right? But the big one for me was always worship. Ever since I was a teenager, I made every made every attempt to fill my home with worship. If you don't like corporate worship that's out there in terms of the various big artists and labels and stuff that's out there, then find something that does, that speaks to you. That's what I've done through my life. And in seasons, it's looked different, but I've always found a way to try and fill my home with worship, to try and play and sing and to be worshipful whenever I can. I find myself listening to it on the bus. When I get here to church, there are pianos everywhere. I'm terrible at piano, but I do everything I can to put myself in the place of worship. Why? Well, I always loved these words of Eugene Peterson, which said it better than I ever could. This is what Peterson wrote. Worship is the strategy by which we interrupt our preoccupation with ourselves and attend to the presence of God. It helps me look up, helps me remember who I am as I rediscover who he is. That's the kind of habit that I need in my life, the kind of abiding I need in my life. So what's the fruit? Love, joy, peace, patience, goodness, kindness, faithfulness, and self-control. And not only us, it's beyond ourselves to the world around us, isn't it? 
As I start to see the fruit of my following of Jesus, I start to see those values, those qualities rise up in my life, qualities that begin to resemble some of the qualities that Jesus himself possessed. As I learn rhythms and habits that help me connect and reconnect with him again and again, it's not only my life that seems to start to change, it's others who see my life and begin to think this question, who made him like that? You know, when I was growing up, as a teenager especially, one of the worst things you could ever have said to me was how like my mom or my dad I was. Like you would have got instantaneous teenage angst right back at you if you ever said that. But you know what? The older I get and admire so much of what my dad's life has stood for, for the passion and gifts that he has went after what God has him for, for all of his life, And when I think about my mom and the legacy of her life written in dozens, if not hundreds of people who felt heard, who were guided and led by the most wonderful, insightful, sensitive shepherd way, the more I think about them, the more proud in the best way I am, the more moved I am to hear someone ever say to me, you are so like your mom and you are so like your dad. And of course I am, because they made me this way. And that's it, isn't it? Fruitfulness in our lives. That's the gift of fruitfulness. That the fruit of all that pruning and all that abiding might be that one day people would say of our lives that we are so like him that there are Jesus-like qualities in our life, not just in the humble ways, but in the adventurous ways, in the out there ways, in the expectation and hopefulness, in the belief that this world and our lives are meant for more, that we might be like him.